At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lundbeck, the world messenger, and I am super thrilled to invite you for another epic legacy leader show. To have today, I'm oh, sorry. <clears throat> hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lundbeck, the world messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic legacy leader show. Today we have a very special guest, dear to my heart, and that I'm super, super excited to hear from and share tremendous knowledge and great accomplishments and things you can do to be that superstar. He is not only um, obviously author of great book uh, that we're going to depict in a second, Story Like You Mean It, which is part of your personal story and narrative and your personal brand. He's also a professor, his keynote speaker, and he accomplished so much more that we're going to depict in the show. Without further ado, please welcome Dennis Rabello. How are you, Dennis? Oh, my dear friend, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's so great to finally get you on the show with your crazy busy schedule before, uh, obviously, summer and summer breaks. I'm super glad we're doing that right now. Yeah, so am I. I'm so thrilled. You know, you, you know you're always bringing all of this energy to the world. And uh, so I wanted to get uh, pulled in uh, by it. And so here I am. <laughs> and one of the things, I mean, you have accomplished so much. Now, you're also a phenomenal TED, TEDx speaker, and then uh, which we'll touch on that very, very shortly. But honestly, like when you see academia as a former educator and someone who is also so innovative and disruptive and also leveraging technology to really disseminate amazing, impactful message. Uh, either it's through speaking or through keynote or through TED or interviews like we're doing right now or conversations on the Legacy Leader Show. Dennis, do you mind sharing a little bit, uh, how did you first of all branch into academia and find your sweet spot there, but also to be robust in your spoken word and impact that you're creating? Uh, it's a, I love, I love questions that are layered and stacked and, and strong. And uh, yeah, that's a great serve for sure. So, so I ended to start at the beginning of the question or series of questions. I'll say that first and foremost, I, I did take a, a route into enterprise first before I ended up in academia. So I'm a little bit reverse, right? Uh, sometimes people will stay in school and then they'll go back, uh, to the, uh, they'll go to the workforce, traditional, right? You know, you learn, you earn, you retire. And uh, maybe, <laughs> but for me, uh, I always loved education. Uh, from the time I was a, a child, I was teaching other people in the neighborhood how to ride BMX bikes and how to jump them and perform tricks. This is before the X Games and the popularity of uh, some extreme sports and the Red Bull brand for sure. So I'm 51, so I'm going to date myself right now. And what I didn't realize, right, is that I, 51 and super uh, cool 51. Not everybody can do that. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> so what I uh, what I realized uh, from from some reflection, right, is that 
it was really what I really enjoyed doing, not just as a BMX rider, but also as a racer and also as a, a science fair presenter. When I was a kid, I, I ended up having to do the required science fair, but I poured myself into it and I did it uh, in a way that was pretty outrageous. I built a lab in my basement and all these other things uh, to build holograms. What I realized there, I was teaching too, I was teaching the judges how to understand what I would build. And, and in essence, even though I, I eventually became a professor later in my life, I was always professing, I was always teaching, I was always considering the context, the content, the audience, and my intention. And so as a sort of a backwards flight in time, that's how I realized it. And I did it in business and I did it uh, as a, a person who owns a practice that worked with and still works with executive uh, executive level folks and uh, you know startup folks who are really focused in their startup activities uh, and folks transitioning from professional sports to run really nonprofits uh, in their next season of life. I realized that public speaking and teaching and rhetoric, right, the spoken word and episodic variations of your personal narrative can be a compelling part of how you self-represent in a world that's filled with digital digression. So I said, hey, let's, let's create a model. And I created a model while I was a professor, actually before I was a professor, while I was doing my dissertation, and I kept stitching it into different environments. And lo and behold, this model is actually multicultural and multi-generational in nature. It's really an apparatus for organizing one story uh, for work-life integration, for public tellings, whether it's two, three minutes, 13 or 18 minutes, et cetera. So, uh, so yeah, I was an, I'm an accidental professor. You know how they have the accidental <laughs> fashion icon? I'm the accidental <laughs> professor. But I love that robustness of your background and how did you experiment and play in so many different fields and industries. And obviously you gave so much commitment because you finished your PhD degree. And it's so interesting to see also what your dissertations were about because I'm also very fascinated about organizational systems and then also psychology and then also behavioralism and humanism and everything else and humanistic studies. Studies. So since like you really spend uh, quite a bit of time bringing all this together, right? How this fits in technology space, how that innovates, but also how humans uh, are really at the core of everything, right? Absolutely. And then of course, you know, being a systems thinker, uh, as you pointed out and rightly so, how would we take something very complicated that's a recurring system that fails? That is answering the question, tell me about yourself, right? I mean, it's a very <laughs> difficult trigger question. Yeah. Right. And whether it's voiced or unvoiced, if you're if you're looking for a career transition or you're rolling into an organization or you're looking for funding and you're a leader or you're new to the team or new to the team and the team is a bunch of peers who have, you know, maybe once met, but then they return and someone says, tell me about yourself. What they're really saying is tell me how you you bring value and worth to the table. And uh, we tend to get uh, really uh unsystemic responses or maybe systemically poor responses to that question. It's usually uh, a blurred out, an un unclear start, a rough unfolding, and then, you know, a, an earnest attempt, you know, not a deliberate train wreck to share something about ourselves, but it's not, it's not reflected upon beforehand as a way to self-represent with positivity within the context. And, and really what I'm saying is that you don't put sprinkles of, of positivity dust over everything, but you look for moments of your life that can enrich um, the telling of who you are within business context or organizational context. And you, you can, you are in fact organizing how you reflect back in time to incorporate 
your past, your now, your future in a way that shows a thematic connection of these, we'll call them dots. I call them blue dots in the book over time. And when yeah. you do that, you show that characterization of who you are, right? So am I a hero, caregiver, sage? Am I, you know, a pioneer, quester, professor, non-traditional, disrupting professor in the spirit of career engagement? What am I? Who am I? Am I an artist, caregiver, nurturer, community builder? But your dots will inform you. And frankly, I was, I was seeing an absence of content to help people become better at public speaking. And, and lo and behold, people became better at public speaking by using the peak model. So the peak storytelling model. So it's, it's been a really fun, uh, shouldn't say ride, I would say development cycle and then deployment cycle and then feedback cycle, right? Talk about a systems thinker. If that's not a good answer that gives you evidence that that's the way I think, uh, I don't know what would be. <laughs> that is brilliant. That is put on. And I love how you were able to recognize what is missing, where you, what you passionate and curious about, and how do you now connect the dots and be able not only from uh, top tier, obviously from leadership and C-suite conversations, but also for the daily practice and, and employees and just in general, and the future students and future leaders in organizations that are going to be making a change. And a lot of times, I love what you said also, how how to take those complexity and simplify them. Uh, that is a true art because we tend to overcomplicate or tend to think the solutions are in complex handlings and dealings just because sometimes we're just not accepting, rejecting the simplest uh, things that we actually need to do because we think it's too simple. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's so true. And what, what I really wanted to distill was a model. It's really a three-stage storytelling model. And, and I'll share a little bit about it right now because I think it, we should hit that point. I yeah. would love to hear that, yes. Yeah. So, so the model is simply this. So uh, it's not really simple, right? But we know, <laughs> but I'm going to simplify this complex thing as you indicated it's good to do in life and when you're helping people. So first and foremost, the book is not about me. Sure, there are elements of me in the book, but the book is about you, the reader, and how you might use a system that I developed over time through my practice and research so that you could in a very simple way, access moments in your life that might have priority that should be included in your self-representative story. So that is your peak story. So I use story and narrative a bit synonymously, but a narrative is a story over time. It includes a past element, a, a current element, and a future plausible possible element. Okay. And so here's the model. The model is, think of Maslow's hierarchy. Okay. Think of, think of a hero story at the base. So instead of food and water, yeah. right? It's a hero story. Hero is not saving another from a, you know, a burning car or you know, being trapped in the trunk or something like that. Uh, it, it, it is something you do for yourself in life. In the middle of the diagram is right to overcome an obstacle. So maybe learning a, a new language, learning to deal with divorce, standing up to a bully, uh, being able to use creativity, uh, to be honored for your uh, public speaking, whatever it might be. Now, the collaborative is doing something with others to create something. It's not ambient belonging. It's belonging because you created an output with one other or others, plural. And then the virtuous story, right, is the one where you're like, whoa, I love this thing and it would be immoral for me to not do this thing. For me, it's teaching. It would be immoral for me not to teach. I, I just, I would, I would feel uh, not like I wasn't contributing to the world. 
So when you have elements of these levels in, in dot form, which the book takes you through, in other words, you find self-event connections that are formative, deeply impressionable. The book actually helps you unpack them through something called a story stamp. So you can see the power of place, people, all right, in that moment, in that blue dot, as well as the motivations that you had and the competencies that you had, mental muscles like exploration, were you creative, were you receptive, empathetic, were you an influencer? And when you start to see all of this, and the book takes you through how to, how to organize it in something called a Foursquare, you start to see that there are these commonalities in your life. Like for me, BMX to science fair to professor inside companies before professor who took together all of this stuff, assembled it and synthesized as, hey, wait a minute, I know the thing I want to teach. And that's how people answer the question, tell me about yourself. And, yeah. it, right? and it doesn't matter if you're at the top of the organization or you're being onboarded. You should know how to show meaning. You know, the book is story like you mean it, not story like you sort of mean it, you might mean it, uh, you know, because your life has meaning. And when you believe that, it changes it, uh, the way you feel from a confidence perspective. Now, confidence, confidere means filled with trust, the Latin root, right? So how can I be filled with trust that my life has purpose and meaning? Well, I have to do some self-reflection in a meaningful way. And the peak story model, is a, uh, as it turns out, is a, a really wonderful um, access point to that. And, uh, and it helps individuals understand that they have now cognitive development happening. That is evidence showing up in their lives in the form of dots that inform them as to who they are, which is interpersonal development en route to doing some interpersonal development so that they're articulating the relationships, forming those relationships and sustaining the ones that matter. So now you have what, uh, uh, Magdola, ba uh, Baxter Magdola calls uh, self-authorship. So everyone has self-agency. We know this from self-determination theory. We know this from Daniel Pink, who studied uh, the work of uh, Ed DC and Rich Ryan, which is self-determination theory, autonomy, mastery, and relatedness. But what we don't think about is self-agency or self-authorship side of self-agency, and that we're able to, to create a life of meaning and purpose through story or narrative identity. And that narrative identity, that sense of who we are over time can shift the way our brain works from a neuropsychological standpoint, we start to, to impact our brain. So Michael Eagleman wrote this great book called Live Wired. And I've kind of bent his language and he's over at Stanford and said, you know, like, you know, you're a lot, he's talking about Live Wired to, you know, at, that our brain actually is the software that drives, it has software that drives the hardware of its development. But I'm here to tell you that you're live wired to story, right? In a similar way, but you haven't used that uh, mental muscle, if you will, or that muscle for a while. So you need to enter the story gym. You need some instructions. You need an apparatus and you need to get storing again. And when you do that, you start to really feel different, relate differently. And uh, yeah, it's can, it can be a bit awesome, right? And then you go down the field of life uh, to use a sports metaphor and you don't worry about, as Eagleman says, somebody stealing the soccer ball uh, from you because you know how to move the soccer ball. So uh, no one will steal my words or my moment from me to use my world's uh, metaphor about public speaking and story like you mean it, because I know the story I'm going to tell. So if it shifts, it's not like the first time I thought about riding a BMX bike was before we spoke or the connection to my science fair project days or my work inside the Sports Mind Institute or Alex Anani or Spartan Racing. I know all this stuff because I've thought about it. I've reflected deeply. I've seen the connection to being more of a sage innovator, you know, professor on the fringe 
uh, in service to identity development and deployment in the world so that your career can be an, one of engagement. Uh, so I'm getting a little wild right now. You can tell because I'm getting excited about the connections that you brought me to make because you asked me a question <laughs> and it was a good one, right? <laughs> so there you go. So back to you. I'll give the microphone back now. <laughs> I love to hear the passion and it is so great to also hear the journey and how this book came about. And I love what you said initially that this is book about a reader. A lot of times the way we write the books or see books written, it's all about the uh, author and author's experience, their stories. And of course it's a value married there, but then it's like scratching her head, how this really translate back in my world, right? So it's just great to hear the contrast there from, first of all, from getting go where you push in and put in message out that is immediately relatable and it's all about the reader and at the same time empowerment i love that little superman figure next to it because all of us have that um power and empowerment that we can truly tap in not only how we connect how we communicate but also how we impact but ultimately everybody wants to create that and you're already doing fantastic job so do you mind sharing a little bit about um obviously some of the impact that you already seen between not only your teaching at university between your phenomenal tech talk which i want you to share a little bit about to audience how they came about and how did you select the topic from such a vast experience that you have yeah. Uh, but also overall, because since like you're fulfilling such amazing legacy already, um, and I'm just curious to hear how you connect in all those dots. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much uh, for, again, another wonderful question. Uh, and a, again, a strong, you know, deep, multifaceted one. So I, I'll, I'll try to honor the order and the sequence of the questions, uh, <laughs> plural. Um, so I would say that the, uh, your prompt, I'm gonna go, first I'm going to answer the prompt on, uh, which was really an inquiry as to how, what am I seeing in the world since releasing the book? So the book was released a couple of months ago. We're seeing it adopted at major healthcare systems. Uh, I know the Cleveland Clinic has uh, a particular um, uh, physician leadership council that I, that started on the book that downloaded the book club guide there's a book club guide so if you go to drdennisrobello.com there's a free book club guide so if you're if you're in a position where you'd like to host a book club uh, it gives you questions that you can use to you know, develop a really meaningful experience in uh, in relationship to the book we have folks who are in germany uh, the netherlands uh, uh, new zealand we have folks who are in uh, the automotive industry, which is interesting, uh, using the book. And uh, we also have seen the book uh, with the reentry campus program. And this is a program that the area executive director is a gentleman named James Montero. And James uh, has positioned the program with and certified two of his staff himself included uh, as a, a coach in the, in the, with the book. So there's a coaching program that allows folks to understand more of the psychology behind the program. So when folks are incarcerated, mm -hmm. they, they are able to now use that, that self-reflection time to go through a correspondence class. Wow. Okay. So we have, I think right now we have 130 people in who are incarcerated or formally incarcerated. I think 110 are still incarcerated. And they're using the same book as leaders in healthcare, as leaders in pharmacare, and pharmacare, right? and, and pharma and life sciences and bio uh, work. Um, and I, it's just unbelievable. So like when I see that happen, when I hear about Hannah Ong, 
who is a, a gal came over from Cambodia. And this, uh, this uh, student, you know, learned the system in my class uh, when she was matriculated at the school uh, as a, she was a dual enrollment student. And she was English was her second language. She was a wrestler, wrestled the boys, very, very strong person. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she went on to Northeastern uh, University and received a scholarship for $20,000 a year unrestricted and was able to travel to four countries in her first two years of college because she uh, told her story to the Rhode Island Foundation. So this is all documented um, wow. you know, activity that has stemmed from the book. And, and I continue to be, oh, yesterday I received an inquiry to sell the book rights to uh, China, to a Chinese group. So we're starting to, uh, I think I just, I did the first contract, but I will, I think this will be in 90 days, we'll have the book underway for a Chinese audience. So the entire book will be in Chinese. Uh, there'll be, wow. yeah, so we're, you know, we're- Brilliant, I'm, congratulations. It's, it's yeah. amazing, snowballing effect. And you just recently released the book and it's just so amazing to see uh, not only the snowballing effect uh, nationally, but internationally as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really just thrilled. And Denmark is another country that likes the book a bit, and India. But you know, uh, fortunately, people also like it in the United States. I have my appropriate. <laughs> they better, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah. at universities, you teach arts, and then executives, you impact. Yeah, and it, it, when we think about uh, what's wrong with the educational. Um, sort of organization of education within the United States. I mean, that's what I'm so excited about because it's not that the entire, all of, of, of the people in education are wrong or misinformed. It's the system of educating our young folks that is impacted. So another area that we've seen great um, use of the, the book is with this population that, look, uh, the average guidance counselor in the United States today uh, has 411 students assigned to them. 411. So you can't sit down and, and really curate a story, you know, help that individual through uh, mapping out, you know, as you would might, as you might, if you were a, an independent counselor or an independent credit um, uh, college advisor, excuse me. So I, I think that the book is going to really impact that intersection of college readiness and career readiness, right, that we see individuals at today. Uh, one school system North Adam, in North Adams, Massachusetts, Western Mass, has put their guidance counselors through certification or their, head, their lead guidance counselor at their high school. And she's using it in a, in a class to help students become more aware of their you know, story, in particular, their, the hero element, the collaborative, and the virtuous, which together equal their peak story. And now just imagine that we had this. That's what I think. Imagine that I could, uh, I could go back in time and I could say, wow, like imagine I had a structure for considering my life and I have no re regrets, of course, right? But that I would be able to understand myself better and feel more secure in my decision to go to the University of Rochester, even if it was just to feel more secure to study, but maybe I would study another topic more quickly, or maybe I would have stayed in school while I did my first job, as opposed to just do the job. I mean, what would be the things that I would redo? Well, this methodology is like a proactive way to frame one's life, right? As opposed to, you know, hey, let's look at this later. But the good news is we're always living. So no matter what your age or stage of life is, 
you can always use this as a way to organize your life, whether you're 56, 84, 16, like Hannah, or, or however old you are. So that's a little extra of a response, but this is what excites me is to see how, you know, Chip Conley has written about the generations and says uh, in his book, Wisdom at Work, that there are, you know, five generations at work now for the first time ever. And that older folks have this wisdom and, and now should be considered as modern elders. Let's just take this one bit from his book and, and, and say this, or I will say this, and you can agree or disagree with it, that wouldn't it be great if we stopped pointing fingers at that younger generation, this generation, Gen Z, Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, and we just realized that underneath all of our experiences as dot collectors, right? That's what we are, human dot collectors, that we have all had hero, collaborative, and virtuous experiences. If we can all articulate what we think they are, right? Be our own interpreter of them. Yes. Then, and could add voice to them that you and me aren't, we would realize perhaps, right? That we're not that different despite our generational marquees, right? That we're actually pretty similar. And then it becomes more of a collaborative synergistic environment. Wow, wouldn't that be different for culture, right? That I honor your story, I'm attracted to, you're not this foreigner to me and that you're from a different generation, you're like an alien, but that we actually, that I actually now, you have revealed more of who you are, what matters to you, what brings meaning to your life. And now I approach you maybe with more ease and grace or maybe more robustness and directness, whatever you say, I then tune off of that and I reorient myself to other. So now we have relational leadership, relational exchanges, changing the vibe, right? Changing the sheet music of, of communiques, or we could just keep going on. This is my wise guy attitude, guessing <laughs> who you are and what matters to you. So I'd pre prefer not that, what I just said, but I'd yes. prefer people self-representing and having that chance. And, and I think we can do that at work through HR departments, through onboarding activities, not just at the leadership level, but at the HR level. I can't agree more because we need to bring more humanistic approach and connections are the ones that build those amazing high-performing teams, as well as organizations in the bridge of thriving culture. And I love that you touch in those two dynamics because we lost sight of that. And I think COVID proved more than ever how important that is, right? And some organizations are doing very well and some of them are quite a bit of a lag in there, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's, that's what we've realized, right? There's a human side of the enterprise that Douglas McGregor talked about in the 60s, right? And even pre-60s, I believe. And we're, we're, you know, his book is as relevant, you know, now 60 years later, almost 60 years later, as it was then. There's a human side of the enterprise. Now, that doesn't mean some people fall into the camp of, oh, you know, it's like witchcraft, humanism, you know, do-gooders. No, 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 no. You can actually be doing humanism and be merit-based, right? You can be merit-based in performance. You can be merit-based in bringing your skills, but still be a humanistic organization. That is to be accepting, to presume everybody, as Maslow pointed out, is capable of good teamwork, right? Yes. Right, all of these elements, right? So there, I think that there are these humanistic principles that date back in time that, you know, events like COVID. Hey, I wrote the book during COVID, right? I, I started it in April, finished it and had it uh, print ready or going to the, you know, locked in, as they say in the publishing world, uh, December 18th, and then it released in March. So you can do a lot of good work when things shift, 
So the question really becomes as they re, as they reorganize and they will look differently to whatever you do for a living out there. Um, you know, do you have a moment still for yourself that you're going to give yourself? You had all these moments during COVID where you got the work done remotely, where you walked in nature, maybe you raised a dog, maybe you created a new practice. Do you have the capacity? the belief in your own self-worth that you're yes. capable of, of, of continued reflective practices. And if so, I didn't, and it, you know, I wish my wish for you is that, you know, maybe you take the book in, into that practice and, and look at, in terms of how it may help you organize your story so that when the pace picks up and that tell me about yourself question happens, that you can be filled with trust that the elements in that story are ones that show your true value and worth. I love it. And you could do so many different things during the COVID, but you chose what can be, where is the highest need, right? And where is the greatest opportunity to serve, could contribute and apply yourself. And I love that you explore your own individual capacity during the turmoil and so much known and fear factors. What, what, what do I have a control over? And let's see where it takes me and look at what is possible and what results are, uh, are there. And a lot of people were paralyzed. They didn't felt, as you said, that they had a trust in themselves and that they even have something remotely valuable to contribute. And that is where I feel like, because we're not focusing so much about how great we are, what we're capable of. We focus so much on what we could not accomplish, what we could not do, or what was not done right. Even though that is so skewed in a small percentage of, of comparison with everything else that we could or what we're already doing. And as a result, so many adults get discouraged. So I'm glad we have a different narrative and different opportunities as as a result of it yeah right that's great it's very well said <laughs> yeah very well said i'm listening dennis i am i promise <laughs> yeah you're very tuned in yeah make no mistake <laughs> but also what i wanted to ask you i I, this is so fresh and for our audience and listener again, we'll definitely tell them where to find the book and why we're talking so much about the book because we need to give that inner power and, 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 and give ourselves um, the permission to really step into that and see what is possible because you gave yourself permission and look at the results. You accomplished one more amazing, incredible thing that is supporting greater good. But I'm curious also, not long ago, also you showed up on the TEDx stage and you deliver really remarkable uh, speech and topic was rather interesting and it's still very interesting today. So do you mind sharing also, how do you, um, first of all, the topic, the, the focus, uh, how did you also felt, because insecure, because it's such a great to see a lot of times when you have the PhD degree uh, researchers and brilliant minds, they, it's like to see how they also know how to disseminate that in the smaller chunks and, 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 and really broaden up to the larger, larger populace. Mm. Not everybody can do that. Mm. So you keep doing this very effectively. So do you mind sharing a little bit about that as well? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So the, the TEDx that I did years ago was really the first um, revealing of the peak storytelling model. And I did it on a TEDx stage. There was a, it was a, you know, there are, these ranges of TEDx's that are done throughout the country. And this was a really pretty intense group and a pretty, I mean, it was a sellout crowd. It was really, um, it was packed. It was at uh, TEDx Public Street in, in Providence, uh, which was really, uh, and is uh, the home of the Met School, which was partially sparked 
by some Gates Foundation money. This is a really interesting uh, context uh, or arena, if you will, for the for yes. the work. But my it was the first time I revealed it, uh, and I revealed it by sharing my own story a little bit in terms of the work I was doing as uh, president of a corporate institute. So I, I think corporate institutes and corporate universities are are great examples of where you can be creative. So if you're an educational person on the fringe and you want to make an impact and you go into uh, an actual company and you know what you want to do and you have a little bit of autonomy, boy, you can really, you can make it count. So at the time, you know, Alex and Ani as a brand was on the rise, but it wasn't really on the rise when I did the speech uh, 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 exactly on the rise, then it was a little bit on the real rise, I, so this I'm going to be very like distinction making here. In 2012, it re like I was invited in to be part of uh, the help that folks needed to get their story straight, and I was an executive coach in 11, 12. Moving into 12, I did a contract to to build this university, which eventually became integrated into uh, HR, but for a long time was a, a freestanding actual building in Providence. And what, what makes something like that now today, you know, Alex and Ani is going through some reorganization and that's fine. You know, big companies go through these types of things and brands that turn into love marks, if you will, to take a phrase from Sachi and Sachi, um, uh, tend to uh, evolve just as people do. But why is it, it was relevant for me to, to go back to your question was that that's where I wanted uh, to be working, where it was super complex. Teaching physics to science fair judges was complex. Jumping my bike over 13 kids in the neighborhood was complex. Being 30 pounds uh, uh, less uh, weighty than my fellow competitors when I raced BMX uh, because I was a late bloomer, but still having to, to, to beat them and win and be tops in my uh, region. Uh, you know, I always look for a little bit more of the difficult scenario, not the easy scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, coaching leaders that are wonderfully prolific, but also need to be coached, difficult situations, love them, you know, and, and I think that that's uh, what drew me to the work is that, you know, virtuous work to me is, is linked to helping someone's organizational narrative be born through education in a way that doesn't look like everyone else's educational program. So again, whether that's the Sports Mind Institute, Alex and Ani, Spartan Racing, you know, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> very, you know. very collective, but I love what you also said, how important it is to apply yourself. Mm-hmm. If everybody ever listening to this and if one thing you can take away is like, even though you are super book smart and so well read and so well researched in the end of the day, if you don't take action, if you don't apply it, it's not going to lead to anything so amazing. And since like you're so good in applying in, as you said, in challenging situations. And interestingly, I love those as well, because they really help you to grow exponentially, yeah. but also put you in positions to really see the reality, to keep a pulse on complexities, right? And prepare mm-hmm. you. So that's why very few that's, people that's really exactly navigate right. these complexity during COVID so well that they could have a peace of mind to write a book, for example, like you did. Yeah. So yeah, so I think that what you're getting at, right, is is the virtuous moment, which is yes. what the book is is about. Is about how how do you light the fuse to find it? And it's not wishful thinking. And meditation's wonderful. I do it all the time. And uh, but but having some way to 
orient yourself and organize using this as an apparatus for organizing can be really the contribution, I think, uh, to individuals. And so whatever your contribution as a listener might be or that you might suspect it is, I would invite you to become more of a contemplative wanderer. So that is the, right? And to do that, you'd have to be receptive. So less directional because receptivity, because receptivity is the opposite of leadership. Leadership is influence. Receptivity is openness. And exploration, don't worry about creativity. Its opposite is exploration, which means to, to leave the shores of normalized thinking and go out in uncharted territory. In that area, you'll find both opportunity and boundaries and, right, and limits. And yeah. so being a, a, what my friend Roy Horan calls, I think he was the first to dub the phrase, I want to give him credit, a contemplative wanderer is to embody those two psychological competencies together, like, mm, like your two mental muscles coming together. Once you do that, you allow yourself to be able to discover a little bit more. And, and, and that's important. Now, the best research you can do is me search, right? It's stuff on yourself, but it's just not thinking about things that, you know, everybody has thought bubbles popping in their head all of the time. If you just let your thoughts overtake you, you know, you're, you're not really going to be uh, successful at discerning anything, right? There's no narrative formula that's going to be applied there. I mean, it's certainly helpful. It can be informing. But in this sort of instance, what we're looking at doing is helping people grasp toward that peak in their doing because it's in the doing that they confirm belief. They can inspire by doing, but you don't bring any spirit by just thinking, yes. right? So you want to do. Yes. You want to move to behavior. Yes. Wow, that is so powerful. So everybody does, again, watching and listening, I need to definitely take a note on that um, because that is where we create the results. And that's where also created tremendous impact and ultimately phenomenal legacy for ourselves. So you already have so much accomplished. And do you mind sharing, Dennis, from your perspective, since already you've been so many places and done that, what is left in the bucket list or where you had it uh, with uh, some of those amazing challenging situations you want to uh, put yourself into and also what would you like to your legacy to be about what would you like to be known for yeah so you know i the, the two-part question on that I'll, I'll say well maybe i'll start with the, the back side what do i want to be known for as a person that helps people uh, who really fine-tune their engagement in work mm -hmm. okay so we talk about work-life balance there's always going to be a little bit of imbalance right you know there's not perfect uh, you know sort of you know, oh, I've X, what, what does that even mean? Right. It's, it's so, so <laughs> it's I'm in, cliche that is that everybody's striving for, but then nobody knows even what that yeah. is. Yeah, it's a catchphrase, right? We want yeah, work life, is. right? We want work life integration. We want to be able to do work that doesn't seem like I'm shedding one uniform and jumping into another. <laughs> that there's shit, right? You know, like, you know, I should feel like I could cruise into a conversation or if I'm a welder that I, you know, I, I know how to weld. And I'm, you know, helping somebody with a chassis on their 66 Chevy Impala Super Sport, but I also can help build a roll cage for some guys Alfa Romeo, right? But I'm a welder, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, right. Let's right on. do that highway. <laughs> yeah, let's go. And so I think that it's it's really right. Whatever lane of life that you occupy, it's it's really about you know integration. So you know, I'm a thinker, but I'm also a teacher, and I'm a crossover teacher. 
So I like to cross over environments. Like I'll bridge the academic for the non-academic and I'll bridge, bridge and for the academic, I'll bridge the, the real doing that entrepreneurs do. And I like that tension, right? I like the tension. And I also like the challenge of reaching audiences. I remember once somebody told, asked me, actually they told me that I was being too smart with people in an organization that weren't going to go anywhere. And I needed to kind of calm down and not engage them so much in learning. And I thought to myself, this is, I, I mean, I, I nearly cried when I drove home at night because I thought I was in the ideal environment um, working with some people. And this came from pretty high up in the organization. And I thought to myself, they're just anti-believers uh, in terms of human potential and the capacity to nice. learn. And, and as I pointed out earlier, whether you're incarcerated or you're starting the next Bitcoin company, you know, uh, you know, it, <laughs> whatever it, uh, floats your boat, right? right? What, whatever, you know, it, like who is anybody to deny your capacity to learn, absorb, be, have an aptitude for something, an interest in something. So first and foremost, um, it's about integration. So I want to be known to, as somebody who helps others sense make of their lives in a way that inspires a reorganization of the way they think about life moments so that they can then voice them in a way that's going to serve them immediately, pragmatically, and uh, with a, a spirit of career engagement in mind. The, the second bit is that, you know, for next for me is whether it's through implementation in schools, universities, institutes, the career centers, within schools, success centers, within colleges, guidance officers, um, or offices, if it, they're not officers, right, with an R, they can be in an office, and um, that, they, that they have the tools they need to help individuals, that schools and principals and superintendents. So uh, we also have uh, certified coaches, and we're really careful about who we bring in to uh, become engaged in the coaching certification program. So my next step is really uh, building that program so that, that we can infuse, imbue, uh, and, and really get this content, this peak storytelling methodology into different platforms. There's different institutions, colleges, centers. Um, because when you do, you can, you, there's a sense of liberation. This is storytelling for self-liberation. And when somebody, you know, a, a student who doesn't have a lot of um, analytical power, this will help that student because it's a, it, they have to analyze their life. A person who normally isn't proactively communicative is going to become more proactively communicative because they can embrace their narrative. A student doesn't who who is uh, maybe uh, overly creative will start to explore differently and then create a more fine-tuned story. So I, I I just see this as the vehicle for introducing storytelling as a practice across different entities, higher ed uh, groups, and and even peripheral. Uh, organizations that sort of hook into higher ed. So that's what I think is next. That is brilliant. And, and you spot on, we need to have a better model. We need to have a different ways of interaction, connection, and as a result, uh, sky's the limit, what we can produce and what we can yeah. create, right? Yeah, right on. From college to career and beyond, right? Let's do it. <laughs> and any adventures in your personal life that are coming up now that we can travel or anything exciting that you are up to beside writing probably another book another yeah book yeah yeah so I, I think probably the the some of some of what's going on 
And again, I, uh, you know, I have three dogs. So my house is always very busy. They're all Australian shepherds. So they're high energy. Oh, I love Aussies. Oh, oh my God. They're oh, so adorable. Oh, oh my gosh. They're great. And so I have a two-year-old, a 10-year-old and an eight-year-old dog and a 22-year-old and a 20-year-old uh, child or children. And so there's always action at my house, right? Um, and my daughter raises horses and, you know, with both kids in college, they're leveraging this, this way of thinking to help discern their stuff, which is always interesting when your dad created the model. So that's kind of fun. And I would say, yeah, right. And trying to prove the model doesn't work, Dad. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Just divorce yourself. What about rebellious, rebellious there? <laughs> That's great. Um, so I think that you know, for me, it's just about uh, everything. To me, uh, is around the, this work right now, and I, and I don't say it with a sense of nothing else matters, but it's a really, it's an, uh, it's an inclusive model, right? So it's it's a model that that draws together and makes connection happen. So for me, I'm just, you know, I'm excited. On my personal life, I've heard just be blunt. I can't wait to see live music more, right? I just miss music. So I'm, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in the Berkshires uh, at the Clark and at Mass Mocha, uh, going to concerts and uh, private events that, or fundraising events to really just enjoy and support music and expressive arts. Um, that's a really big uh love of mine so uh yeah so to all you artists out there thanks for hanging in there we also have in newport the jazz festival coming up in the folk festival which will undoubtedly uh make my heart sing so i'm looking forward to that as well that is brilliant and i have to say i'm sharing the same passion because uh opportunities to connect see some friends but just even by yourself just go soak it up mm. that amazing moment and and um beautiful, but what are the we're finally having and everything else? So Dennis, this was absolutely epic. And in a closing, if you don't mind, something that you wanna leave audience with as they are now absorbing what you just shared and getting to your book where they can find it, obviously on Amazon and your website, I'm assuming, right? But uh, what would you just say, one actual thing that can help them to rediscover themselves and get them going in the right direction so that yeah. they are more empowered and as a result, more accomplished, more fulfilled? Yeah, right on. So the so to start with the essentials, the website's drdennisrebello.com, D-R-D-E-N-N-I-S, rebello.com. That's where you get your free book guide. You get some information on what I do and the book itself, and you can launch off of that and find the book. Um, to your other part, the other part of your question, um, Eric Erickson, the great uh, German psychologist said, well, you know, I am what survives me, right? You are what survives you. And uh, think of your story just as that, right? It does just that too. It survives you, mm. right? But if you know it, if you do the inside job first, right? Then the outside manifestation of it through voicing it, through living it out, through decision-making, right? Through modeling for others. So observationally, others are learning how to use storytelling, right? And the different episodic versions of your story across audiences, you're really modeling the two things that the modern worker wants. They want self-expression and they want meaning-making. So at whatever stage or age you're at as a listener, you know, consider the power of your legacy as a story. It survives you and your story will do just that. It will survive you. So please put some time into it and uh, fine tune it, polish it up and, and use it and story like you mean it. Wow, that is so brilliant.
didn't. Oh my goodness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's such a great message. And we really appreciate again, your time and phenomenal sharing on the Legacy Leader Show and also sharing how is the uh, legacy formed and distributed in a ways and the reach and impact that uh, beyond imagination. We're wishing you ongoing success and looking forward circling back and asking you more down the road, where are you at and what is happening next? Thank you, such a pleasure, such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers. <laughs>